2: Welcome to the Oshkoshensberg podcast. Thank you at Toe Hider for my intro music. If uh, if you like all things metally, um, follow at Toe Hider on Twitter. He um, once recorded a cover version of cover album of eighties cartoon intro theme song cover versions. It's pretty exceptional, just for the Ulysses. Uh, one alone. Hi, I'm Osher Ginsberg. This is the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. Thank you, Toe Hider. Uh Welcome to the show. I'm glad you can be here. This is uh, a weekly conversation with someone that I find real inspiring, uh, someone that's done something really interesting in their lives, uh, someone who's got a great story to tell, and hopefully this show, I'll get inspired, and hopefully you'll get inspired as well. Today, I'm delighted to welcome a guest I'm very excited by, Dan Illick, comedian, satirist, producer, director. He's... F- Fairly much an all-round legend. He's on Twitter at Dan Illick, D-A-N-I-L-I-C. Also, youtube.com slash Rational fear. More about Dan in a moment. If you're new to the show, welcome. Hi, thanks for being here. Please check out some other episodes. Please check out some other episodes. If you're a subscriber, welcome back. I'm here for you every Monday in Australia and Sunday in the US. If you hear something on the show that resonates with you, please tweet out a link. Put a rating in the iTunes app. That's very, very helpful for me. And write a comment in the app as well. That's very, very helpful for me. Um, I'll just tweet out a link to the show. The First anniversary of the show is coming up. Pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. I'm thinking about doing a Q&A for that show where I'm the one in the chair and you're the one asking the questions. What do you think? What do you reckon? Tweet me or send me an email. Just um, pop your address into the subscribe box at osherginsberg.com, reply to the autoresponder or the mail-outs, whatever one I, I send out to you. I read them, try to reply as often as I can, but I'd be interested to know your thoughts. Um, I hope your week was good. hope it's all good for you. Hope um, Thanks to everybody that got in touch through the week. Um, I'm pretty sure I wrote back to all of you. Um, had a few things come out sideways for me this week. Uh, in a way, let me, how do I explain that? Like, I look at other people... And I, uh, often the thing that they're worrying about is actually the thing that they should be worried about. So when they sort that thing out, they're no longer worried. And I, I kind of envy that. <laughs> my, brain, my brain's kind of like super stealth. Like my brain likes to worry about completely unrelated matters. In fact, convince me with incredible passion and certainty that I should be worried about those things over there when in fact what I'm actually worried about is my mum having to move house or if... This woman is not going to text me back, or, or whatever. I, I seriously, I've got to be like Benedict Cumberbatch in Sherlock to kind of figure out what the real problem is. So, what I've been trying to do, what I've been trying to do, is try, I guess, just not do anything for a second when that worry comes. Just hold on for a moment. Just ask what else. What else is going on? And in fact, I read a really interesting article this week. It was cited um, in, a, in, a, in a paper. A paper that was natural, no, Nature Neuroscience was the journal that was published in, and um, the paper talked as a research study that showed that the actual length of a human's reality of the present is 15 seconds long. So your your moment, or our moment, our present is 15 seconds long. So I got to remind myself that while things may seem permanent, while they feel like they're going to last forever or affect everything. All I have to do is just just choose to not do anything about them for 14 more seconds. And hopefully a better idea can pop along. Just just not doing anything. It's been working out okay. It's about five breaths. I've got to remember to do it. That's the shitty part. I've got to remember to do it. But that's kind of been working for me. Um, if that works for you, I'd be interested to know. If something else works for you, I'd be interested to know as well. My guest today is Dan Illick. I'll unashamedly tell you right now that I invited him on the show because I want to be in his world. When he's, what, what Dan is doing with his collective irrational fear, or irrational fear, as they say it, is for me some of the most important and powerful satire going on in Australia right now. Dan's a driven man. He always knew what he wanted to do. In fact, in this chat, we actually discover, he and I crossed paths a few times before in a television capacity, but he's, also, he's been making radio shows since high school when he used cassette recorders that used tapes. Yes, tapes, ask your parents. But Dan and I discuss the coming of age of direct-to-audience digital content that we're walking into, climate change denial, and we, great detail. We've got a great length about the Great Australian Bullshit Detector. Dan's a fantastic guy. He's a very smart guy. He's a very driven guy. I hope you find something in this that shows you as well that no matter what your thing is, no matter what it is that you're doing, the most, or want to do, the most important thing, the most important thing to do is to just go out and do it. If it's good, it'll stick. If not, you'll learn a lesson and then you start again. Um, Settle in. Because this one, it's a slightly longer one this one. It gets funny, then it gets quite serious, and then it gets funny again. So... Enjoy this conversation with a man whom I believe will be a leading voice in the Australian cultural narrative in the next decade. This is Dan Illich. Enjoy. What's the correct pronunciation of your last
1: name? Uh, I say Illick.
2: Okay.
1: My, my dad would say Illich. <laughs> Well, it's what you say, sure, so Ily, <laughs> yeah, you sure, all yeah. oh, right, okay, yeah. then
2: hi, Dan il <laughs> hi, Osha,, it's, o- it's Osha, likesha, like washer without the word. <laughs>
1: (laughs) It's Hebrew for happiness. And you you are such a happy guy.
2: Well, well, that's because I have a great doctor (laughs) and I (laughs) take what I'm told to take when I'm told to take it. It's it's important to be regular. If I've learned learned anything. I'm not even joking. Have a schedule. (laughs) It is. I'm so thrilled you're here in my house. Thank you for being here. How long have I got you for? No, you can have me for two hours if you want. Oh, I don't think we'll need that. Good, good. But if we get there, we just
1: might. Um, Is this like therapy? If I keep talking to you, will I feel more complicated about my life? When I leave, whose therapy is this? Is this your therapy or is this my
2: therapy? I think about that a lot. Should we think about the listener? Well, no, you ask a really valid question. I started this show sitting here in this exact spot Mm. in September last year, uh, earlier than that, July. So I was doing batch and we were shooting three days a week and I was going a bit bit mental, had nothing to do. The other foot, I need to keep my hands busy. Sure. All right. (laughs) and um, it's turned into being like the most authentic form of what I do, the closest to who I am as a form of expression. Do you find the other showbiz stuff gets in the way? Hmm. It's not at all the case. It doesn't get in the way. Mm -hmm. I love everything else that I do. I particularly love the challenge of Bachelor because... You can only get those emotional reactions once, mm. the authentic emotional, emotional reactions, because the show is... It's reality. We're capturing these ladies' real emotions when I'm revealing to them, two of you are leaving, or one of you is leaving, or two of you are going away on a date with mm. this guy and only one's coming back, and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, you only get a chance to get those emotional reactions okay, once. So great. I really enjoyed that. But as far as, you know, the other aspect of, 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 of how I do what I do and what I've been doing for a while, this show has been... Yes, it's my therapy. Is well. oh, very good. Well, Asha, uh, it's
1: great to be here
2: with you. And uh, it's we just, worked together uh, this, a few years back. Which have... I this is a safe space. It is. It's it's a rented house in Bondi, so you can pretty much do anything to it. But I still have to live here when you leave. Uh, we I think we worked together a few years ago on some New Year's Eve show or something like that. Didn't you do a segment on the New Year's Eve show? Oh my way? goodness! Yeah, I'd made an animation yeah.
1: for Channel Ten New Year's Eve when um, you were about seventeen. <laughs> when I was about when I was twenty five, I was just doing Ronnie Johns and uh, made this quick animation about the history of New Year's Eve. I did two of those uh, year back to back, um, and uh, yeah, I think that was that was because uh, that was the first time I remember.
2: Like, who's this guy? And I can this tell you really we have
1: worked twice before since. Oh, we have? Yeah. Uh, once it was a Channel V thing with Jack Black. He was in town. Yeah. And I was up as a superhero and you interviewed me for something at Fox Studios a long time ago. You came as a punter? Yeah. Yeah, it was a long time ago. And before that, it would have been 2000... 2000 actually, 2000, Big Day Out, um, me and my friend Steve, we, snuck, we found these pink wristbands and we snuck backstage at the Big Day Out awesome. and we got up into your OB and interviewed uh, you really? in your OB. Uh, and Were you filming? Yeah, yeah. Oh and I God. do have footage of it on a mini DV tape. Um,
2: 2000? Mm, I was shooting. So or 2001? Mm, might have been 2001.
1: 2001, the Limp Bizkit year. Uh, yeah, that was the big year. That 2001. That was 2001. Uh, limp, that would, yeah, it was 2001. Yeah, it was the Vanessa Mihalik year. That was Whoa. the year she died. Yeah. So that was a crazy. There were crazy times of big doubt where you, where any pink, anyone, any idiot with a pink wristband could sneak backstage. Her name was Jessica. Jessica. Not. Oh, Vanessa. Sorry, Vanessa was someone I went to school yeah. with. Yeah. J- Jessica. Jessica
2: Mihalik, Yeah. Mahalik, yeah. Um, wow, that's amazing. I remember you turned up as a superhero. Were you wearing a brown costume? It was like
1: this silver sort of. Um, I remember being weird.
2: super, super thrilled
1: that you showed up. It was weird. It was Nacho Libre sort of tie-in, I
2: think. I could be wrong. I don't think you'd done Nacho Libre by that point. No, maybe it was School of Rock. Oh, I can't remember. It was a long time It ago. was when Tenacious D showed up. Perhaps, yeah. It was so long ago. Same year. It was it, year. It's 2001. Or early yeah, 2002. Probably. You know, when Channel, v, when Channel V used to be something. <laughs> It was a, it was a magical look. It was a magical time in television. It was along the same lines of, you know, we were just our mandate was just make it make what you're doing. Give them something they yeah. can't get on free to wear television. Just make it. And it was all before YouTube. You know, it was all before yeah, all before all that stuff. And we did, and it was it was exceptional. We were making some 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 great television. Well, that's awesome. Well, that yeah. you know, I love it when that happens. When you clearly knew that I want to be around this mass distribution media thing. I want to be around it. I want to be near it. And and. Like, who could really be bothered now that you can have the entire sum of human knowledge in your hand and, and just fingering a phone all day to go, I'm going to dress up in costume, wait in line at a TV show. <laughs> yeah, that's right. In ho- hope, that I meet- yeah, ho- hope that I can meet... Yeah,
1: uh, hope that I can meet then Andrew G. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and Jabba and, uh, and
2: Tenacious D. JB and know. KG. <laughs> that's amazing. Oh, that's really... I'm super happy to hear that. Because uh, I was just telling someone just the other day, he uh, emailed me, he's oh, a mate of a mate, it's like, oh, how do I really want to get into radio. How can I get into radio? I've done all these courses at Afters and stuff like that. Mm. I'm like, that's great. Good for you. And there's people t- turning up at these radio stations with the same picture on a piece of paper from afters, who've got a year and a half of podcasts under their belt. Yeah. You've got to be able to show people, I've been doing it for free. I've been bas- bashing down doors, I've got skin in the game. Mm, you've yep. got to show people that you've been doing it and you have clearly knew you wanted to do it for a long time.
1: Yeah, you know, it's uh, what's interesting is that the web does allow for people to set what they want to do in a very clear way and allow people to n- develop some sort of authenticity about what they do and also um, become an authority in what they do before... Mainstream media picks them up, mm. and I think that's a really great that's a really great thing, and that those kind of opportunities didn't exa- exist before the the internet, definitely. Well, oh, um, maybe on community television, maybe yeah, community. I um, mean, community radio um, is really was really important. Community TV in Melbourne is really important. Community TV in Sydney didn't really exist. Yeah. Um, but uh, I know so, so many writers have started their own blogs, and now are mainstream writers for mainstream media outlets.
2: It's it's interesting. It's like the view the the who was talking about it the other day, Greg Proops was talking about it, his show that stand up comedy is one of the only entertainment things that still has an apprenticeship. Yeah. You really have to do and be prepared to do five years, Failing. Of five minutes, <laughs> three times a night with no laughs yep. for no money yep. before you get close to finding your own voice. Yeah. People ask me all the time how they get into stand up and I say, well, you gotta,
1: you gotta be prepared to fail for a year or so. Yeah. Um, do it. You gotta do it. Like, You know, I've done it. Someone else can go, like, I don't want to do it anymore.
2: Well, was look, honestly, and that was my time. You know, I talk about it a lot. You know, that was my time doing Midnight to Dawn radio. I was terrible. Yeah. I was terrible. And I made so many mistakes. And weekly would emerge bloody and bruised from an air check meeting, like a review meeting with my boss, telling me, stop saying this, stop saying that, start saying this, start saying that. I don't know if you're anything like
1: me. When I used to do breakfast on FBI, I was air checked by Tim Ritchie, former Double J presenter and now uh radio national guy and he would rip me to shreds every morning at nine o'clock soon as I'd get off air yeah. and I would relish it like I actually got a high out of being air checked uh, yeah. there was no there's no sort of skin in the game It wasn't commercial radio or anything it was it was FBI but it was so fun to be able to go you said ah three times in that mic break why don't you say ah could you use <laughs> another word when you said check this out four times this hour, why did you say check this out four times this hour? And I was like, I don't know. I'll change it. And it's so great because you can stop yourself from saying that stuff if you know it's coming. <laughs> and you can, do, you, can, you can be better. And I, I relish those moments where there's someone who I know, who I admire and trust, who is better than me, ripping me apart, and I love that still. I, I, I can't work with people who, who don't keep me in check. I find that, um, I find it lazy and, uh, I don't trust myself ah. to do it myself.
2: Well, that's interesting. I did find it weird when I first started working at, at Idol, we never got that kind of feedback. Right. Cause I'd been used to like the dojo of Osterio of that exactly kind of thick faced black heart, you know, keeping, you, you, you're never really that good. <laughs> yeah, ever, yeah, you you yeah. never really get the feeling that you're ever any good. And then we showed up, I showed up, Jim and I showed up at um, Idol. And I was like, oh, that was great, guys, that was great. No, it's fine, I was see you tomorrow. I like, <laughs> okay. Do you guys look at each other and go, what, are these guys are idiots. This is so you know, easy. I, I don't know. I, was, <laughs> you know. I think I started to believe it. <laughs> it's even far more dangerous, Dan. <laughs> Far more dangerous. Yeah, you're right. I am fucking good at this. <laughs> yep. I won't lie.
1: I can say you're going to Sydney. I can say that.
2: <laughs> it happened, mate. I, I I I got high on my own supply for a while there. It's no secrets. No secrets here. Were you the were you the noisy kid in school? Uh
1: yeah, I, I did cause trouble in school. I remember in Year Five, I put a kick me sign on the back of a teacher on April Fool's Day. Yeah, that'll and do it. Got sent to the principal's office. It was pretty good. Uh, when I was in high school, did I anybody got... kick the teacher? No, she was furious though, uh, understandably. <laughs> uh, one of my favourite teachers as well, uh, Miss Higgy. Good on her. She was awesome. Uh, and I did so. In high school, I got a satellite attention for doing this. Now, at the time, Triple J was very big in my life and they were running, in conjunction with the Arts Council, this festival called the Loud Festival. And I uh, I interviewed people about being loud. One of the people who I interviewed about being loud uh, on my tape recorder back then was my sports teacher. And she was the... Her name was Gail. I can't remember her her last name. Her last name was Gail. And she was the... Uh, Captain of the Australian women's rugby team at the time Oh yes And I interviewed her and she, she all about being loud. And she told me this great thing. She's like, "Yep, you know, I, you know, we love being loud. We've got our own theme song at, at the, at the, uh, for our for our rugby team, and it was the Dromoyne Rugby Women r- Rugby Team um, chant. And it went like this: We're Dremoine Rugby Women, we're raiders of the night. We're dirty sons of bitches. We'd rather rock than fight. Singing, Heidi, Heidi, Christ almighty, who the fuck are we? We're Dremoine Rugby Women, the best you'll ever see. Oi! So." I had she on, sang you this song. Yeah, on, into my tape, so I had it on tape. Right. This was year twelve. Uh, I was, or well, year eleven. I was in the SRC, and we started this what's campaign, SRC the Student Representative Council. What's uh, that? It's like a internal politics, like you know, uh, school captains. Oh stuff wow! Like that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And so we started this this campaign to clean up the clean up the. Uh, the playgrounds after lunch where we'd play music at the end of lunch and that would be for everyone just to pick up the papers around them and put them in the bin. So we'd do that every lunch and we'd play different songs and one day I'd play... Over I found PA. Over the PA. And one day I found the tape and played the tape over the PA. <laughs> I got a Saturday detention
2: for that. Um, rightly so, I guess. Uh, that was a breach of trust, but it was very, very funny. <laughs> So, <laughs> you, we just talked about, you just mentioned earlier, you know, it's interesting that people now have the ability to d- broadcast online and be digital and, uh, and stuff like that. But you just shown me that you had a tape recorder and you were, even then at 16, you were running around making your own stuff. Yeah, I remember doing an ad with Roy and HG for the Smithson DePaul of ours high school
1: and they recorded it for us and we, we put that to air over, over our radio. With Roy and HG? Yeah. And How and did I, you get near them? Uh, I called up Triple J and got on to the producer and asked him to record a script. Huh. Um, for our principal who was leaving, and one for sir Vincent de paul so i got these two, i got these two bits of audio on tape somewhere, um, which was really great and I started a school newspaper as well at school as well, so I started like you know, who started so even
2: newspaper? though there wasn 't blogging, even though you weren 't able to kind of jump <laughs> yeah. online, you were most definitely out there creating yeah,
1: from yeah. very early uh, yeah, well yeah I was yeah I was a bit of a yeah, i
2: guess i haven 't really thought about that for a very long time but, but. it's really important to say that. You knew back then that you wanted to do it. There's a mate of mine, uh, a guy I went to school with, he's, he works on a current affair, <laughs> <His> <laughs> name Ben McCormack. I know Ben. Yeah, I went to school with him. Oh, right, okay. Ben had a video, ta- a video camera on his shoulder... <laughs> Every time we were on any kind of excursion or anything from grade nine. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah He filmed everything and the, he made an interview video every time and so he's essentially does for a living what he dreamed to do when he was 14
1: Well, here's the thing how I, I, I got a I got a bug when I was about year 10 and my friend Tim had a Apple computer an old school beige Apple computer and he edited the school video and I thought that was the coolest thing in the world to be able to put video together so then when I was doing my Certificate two in Information Technology when I was in year 11, um, no one in my school wanted to take placement at the Apple store near my house in Borkham Hills, so I took it. And during that time the iMac got released, and iMovie got released. So I was kind of at that store, basically fueling my equipment habit. Yeah. <laughs> equipment needs to create films. And through that store I managed to get a video camera and then I and then they let me take home Macs uh, and I'd have Macs at my home. Uh-huh. So I would I would I would do iMovie stuff on my on my iMacs and then I eventually did this job for Apple where I'm ended up getting a G4 and Final Cut Pro, learning Final Cut Pro, and then so I was I was like Doing all of that stuff since I was very, very little. And now, and now I'm at the point where I can just get other people to do it. Yeah. So it's really, it's really great. Uh, I have a whiz kid, Alex, who's been doing all of my stuff recently. And he's like, oh, Dan, you should do this. You should do this. And I said, no, you should do it because you'll do it better than me. <laughs> and <laughs> because I'm a bit out of touch now.
2: Have you read, have you read Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell? Uh, w- which one of Gladwell's? Outliers. Outliers. Yeah, yeah. I've heard. Okay, rep, yeah. so you're basically you're basically being Bill Gates with access to the computer <laughs> down the road at Stanford. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You're you're learning how to create web content ten years, five years before people have got uh, access to that software. Yeah. Well, this is this is the cool thing.
1: Um, and I was doing that long before 20, 2002. Did a job. Did a job for Apple in two thousand one. Got the got that got that G four Mac in two thousand two. I wanted to, I got a job at the Winter Olympics. Um, working in Salt Lake City. Damn. Uh, as a ski locker room attendant. Uh, and I eventually got a job at NBC for the games. So this was like when I was 20 years old. Huh. And, uh, and so I pitched to Apple, the then CEO at the time, Di Ryle, who I've been meaning to go and have, find, track down, and have lunch with. I said, "Give me a laptop, and I will, um, and I will do some blogging from the Winter Games with this laptop." And it was like this first kind of thing, like first kind of uh, kind of. It was like the first sort of blog slash video thing. Like no one has video blogs in 2000. Yeah, I
2: I, I remember being... I was in Salt Lake City at the same time and I remember having this little Sony Handycam that had a screen that could flip around... And you would take, hey, here I am, and show that. You would take self-videos. Exactly. It took forever to encode, and no one had a modem <laughs> qu- capable of, of watching anything longer than 90
1: seconds. So what I would do is up at Park, Park City, uh, I would make fr- I made friends at the internet cafe. I made them an ad to go on local access television, uh-huh. and then they let me have free internet for my entire time I was there. Man. So I was cutting videos in their cafe and uploading these uh, bio, like weekly videos of me mucking around in the ski slopes and around the winter olympics and my trip in around the united states it was how long
2: were like, we in the states for only three months so 2000 yeah. that was 2002 that was oh, fantastic that was you just th- gotta go if you haven't <laughs> just just go just book a ticket and go you're not gonna miss anything in australia no it's a dream yeah it's,
1: it's just like, go. i go there every I've, I've worked out i've been there every two years since 2002 right. and
2: it's just an absolute playground i spent a lot of time in utah i love utah do you do, do love, you love do you utah. do you ski Uh, I do now. I used to snowboard. Oh, yes. See, snowboarding is bad parenting. Uh, (laughs) That's (laughs) what I got told. Good point. Where where do you ski in in Utah? Uh, Mostly in Powder Mountain. Uh, Where is that? Uh, It's out the back by... So past Deer Valley. Right. By a place near a town called Eden. And it's just amazing. Right. It's just exquisite country. Right. And the, the biggest thing that I always tell Americans... I live there, right? I always tell Americans, what isn't seen in the cultural export of this country is the natural splendor Incredible. of america it is such a beautiful you want forests you want mountains you want deserts you want coral reefs it's all there it's not just a seinfeld set no. or or a street it's not all ncis you know it's not no it's it's, <laughs> it's not it's another that's another person dead by the pool at the standard hotel in la it's like you like it is such spectacular country Arizona's amazing like what's uh, kind
1: of interesting wyoming's is wyoming's amazing it's incredibly accessible mm. that's what's amazing You've got these freeways and and the airlines, mm-hmm. and every town has a has a port. It's so accessible. I hitchhiked from Seattle to New York in 2011, and what was cool about that is. Uh, it took me 10 days to do it. And in 10 days, I saw such diverse country from uh, from Seattle through Washington State to Montana, the beautiful mountains of Montana over the Rockies and then into the plains yeah. of, past South Dakota and Wyoming and Ohio for Amazing. nothing and then getting to get into the East Coast. Like, it's incredible. Like, it's, it is it is a beautiful, beautiful country.
2: They're, they're so, they're very lucky. Sketchiest, <laughs> uh, sketchiest thing that happened to you, hitchhiking from West to East?
1: Uh... Everybody was really cool, Um, however, there was kind of a common denominator. Generally, most people had cracks in their windows, so they were kind of, I guess, poor, or or travellers, and uh, they were quite willing to just pick anyone up. The most beautiful thing that happened to me was this Mexican guy picked me up, didn't speak a word of English, picked me up, put me in his front seat, had his daughter in in a booster seat in the back, and he drove me about a hundred kilometres, and then when I got out to leave, uh, I couldn't speak a word of English, he gave me a hundred dollars. And I had to I gave it back to him. I, was, I tried to explain that I didn't need it. That you know, I, that uh, you know, I'm this Australian guy just doing this for fun. You know, I don't actually I don't actually need to do this. And he was really insistent. I—I—I I, I made sure he did not didn't give it to me. So that, that was so beautiful. I didn't expect that at all. Um, incredible. And one of the coolest things that happened was this. It—I was—I forget where I was, and this guy. Uh, pulled over, he was, a, he was a cop and then he, he said he let me know that it was absolutely legal for me to be hitchhiking he just wanted to check up on me, make sure I was alright and then I, I told him I'm Australian and he said, well, where, uh, what's your last name? Ilich and he looked at his, ah, Illich. and he gave, then he gave me this long hour lecture on the Yugoslav civil war <laughs> And I was like, I'm in the middle of nowhere in America and this state trooper is giving me a lecture about what happened during the Yugoslav Civil War because I've got no idea. Uh, It was just... It was so bizarre. Uh, And then the sketchiest thing was I was at the side of the road and uh, waited for about... The longest I ever waited for a ride was about 45 minutes. That's amazing. Yeah. This time I was probably waiting about an hour and this guy picked me up. So I was getting a bit nervous because... I'd learnt that generally the time of waiting was like 10, 15 minutes. So never had I waited, waited an hour. This guy picked me up and he had a beat up ute and he had really red eyes and he was going mushroom picking yeah. down south. Yeah. And so I was in Montana. He was going to drive to Utah to go pick mushrooms. And I was like, well, that's kind of, that's a long way. <laughs> I guess that's the season. Um, so he was, like, really scatterbrained. He was t- telling me about all the times he used to be a musician, doing drugs and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, uh, and he just... He w- it just kind of started to put me on edge. Just... Uh, I started getting a little prickly and I started getting concerned that he might do something or try something. And he's like, you know, I'm just going to pull over and sleep on the side of the road here. And, and I, I don't really sleep on the side of the road. I was quite happy to pay for a, a hotel. I said, why don't you come stay with me in a hotel? Um, and he's like... Oh, that'll be great. You sure? He's like, yeah, yeah. So we stayed together. Uh, and We both got into bed. We yeah, shared a room. We shared with a room, complete yeah. stranger. Yeah, I shared. We're twinsies. Twinsies. I hopped into bed. He hopped into his bed. We kind of, bit both a bit nervous. And he's like, ah. Oh, you know what, I've got, to go, I've got to go downtown and get a whiskey. And I was like, you know what, I'll come with you. So, so we, we both went to the bar, and we both drank, we both learnt more about each other, and then we all went to bed drunk. And it was, it was, it was one of those things where I was just letting fear, I think, get hold of me, uh-huh. where maybe I was rightly scared, but um, what I learnt from that trip is that generally... Everybody is pretty good if you give them a chance. Uh, and so it was, one of the, it was one of those things where I was just kind of letting fear kind of overtake um, what was actually happening, overtake the reality.
2: I like the, idea, I like the idea that you just went for an adventure. Mm. My friend Jigger was getting married in
1: London and I was living with him in New York. And he had to pack up his house. He le- they both live in San Francisco. So I had a wedding in London to attend. And I was living with him in New York. He had to pack up ten days earlier to go to San Francisco to pack up the house and move back to San Fran. So I had ten days in New York where I didn't have accommodation, and I had a wedding to be at. So what do I do? I don't know, fly to Seattle, drive, hitchhike back, and I made it. I didn't make it in ten days. I made it in seven days. Twenty-three rides, seven
2: days, and it was just great. That's exceptional. Yeah, really good. Oh. Yeah. this is fantastic so just back a little I, just, I did notice that we do have something in common other than strangely pronounced last names mm. uh, we were both in high school musicals yeah which ones were you in which ones did you do? Well, I did. St- well, I was very overweight when I was in high school. Yeah, up top. <laughs> yes, that's a high five oh, team. Yeah. See, that's why you're so handsome now. <laughs> and you, I'm working on it. Uh, we, I was, I was fat and uh, frightened and terrified and ashamed, ashamed, so ashamed of myself. And so, grade nine, I went to an all boys school. Can I call? Can I call you fatty? Is would that make things <laughs> <laughs> still stings? Really, still stings. <laughs> all right, it's weird. <laughs> It's weird. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm present to the body dysmorphia and things like that. Yeah, sure. When you go through life that big. I mean, it's, I haven't been that big for quite a while, obviously, mm. but it's still kind of in there. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, It doesn't really go away, which yeah. is kind of strange. Anyway, yeah. um, what did I do? I did stage crew for the fur grade nine. I did stage crew and I was like, hang on. So three afternoons a week, two afternoons a week and once on the weekends, I can hang out with girls yeah I'm there <laughs> so I did stage crew for what did we do we did Hotel Paradiso and uh, then ah oh, I did that something else I can't remember and then grade 11 was Oliver the classic yep classic Bill Sykes a, cl- a perfectly cast I was, I was Bill perfectly Sykes cast, sir and um then Pride and Prejudice <laughs> wow the musical version of Pride and Prejudice <laughs> I was ah oh, who was I he was a right prick um I can't remember It was one of them But not the lead Mm. Um, Yeah Just not Mr Darcy (laughs) No it wasn't Mr Darcy No it was someone else And I totally didn't understand the story Right I just knew that I got to do Play as my wife uh, Bridie Barry Who ended up being a big Big time She's a big time newsreader on Sky Right Yeah in the UK I think she's back here now Yeah right Yeah I remember being like She was so pretty (laughs) so pretty and I was like and then you know it was just like hanging out with girls and nerding out about music and it was great yeah, yeah I yeah. loved it what was your experience um, well
1: I, I was addicted to being lit and amplified I think uh, and
2: um, <laughs> I think I share the same compulsion yeah
1: that was, that was really <laughs> I really liked that and staring into a black room and having 300 people laugh at you that was uh, that was my addiction uh, when was your first hit I did uh, did a show called The Cumberland Gang Show, which was a scout and guide show at Parramatta Riverside Theatres when I was 12, 12 Uh years old. Yeah. Um, And uh, I have that show to thank for many of my firsts. uh, First girlfriend, first pash, you
2: know, all that stuff. First time a crowd went Oh, oh,
1: first time, yeah, first time um, great crowd reactions. Got a full laugh from the crowd. Yeah, learning how. uh, that, That show did many good things to me. Did also did many bad things to me in that um, the show really teaches you to ham up to the audience, whereas when you transition into something like telly, it's the exact opposite. The yeah. smaller you are, the funnier you are, yeah. but on stage, somehow the bigger you are, the better you are. Like, it, it's, it's kind of... It, they're, they're disciplines that don't kind of um, work together. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. And it's also... One's amateur, one's professional, and when you're in a professional world, there are uh, people demand a lot more. So it's kind of it's kind of one of those things. When, when you're in a show like the Gang Show, it's all about making the reason why the Gang Show is what it is. It's a, it's like a review. Um, there's lots of different sketches and songs, and it's all in block formation, and the lighting is always bright. Why is Gang Show like this? Well, so that everybody who has a kid in the show can see their kid in the show. <laughs> The show is about parents seeing their kid in the show. It's not actually about putting on a great show. it's that it's the, the reason why the show isn't as good as it could be it's because everybody wants to see their kid on the show yeah right
2: <laughs> we've got to we but if, to... if
1: they were really concerned about putting on a great show then they might dim the lights for this section or <laughs> or have less people on stage yeah, or, yeah, right. or tell
2: a story in another way and that went every year so once the first one you're like I've got to do that again how can I do this again between now and then
1: yeah well I did it for I did that for 12 years wow I did that for 11 years you became a ranger you went all the way uh, yeah through? I did I became a rover yeah, a rover so. I went Sorry. through Cub Scouts, Venturers, Rovers, all the way right. through, and then I turned twenty-one, and I thought, "This is what am I doing? This is ridiculous."
2: Yeah. Do you still <laughs> prepare for the worst and hope for the best?
1: Uh, I be prepared, be yeah. prepared. Yeah. You still have the belt buckle? I do, well, I do, I don't have that particular; it doesn't fit me anymore.
2: <laughs> but um, just the buckle, Jimmy Matheson. used to have the buckle. Oh, was Jimmy
1: Matheson in Scouts?
2: I, I don't know, but he rocked up with a buckle. <laughs> and I was like, "That is hot."
1: That guy. It was like got- two
2: thousand two or something. He's interviewing Tim Rogers with a be prepared belt buckle. I'm like. Damn, Skippy.
1: But, what, I mean, that show uh, taught me a lot about teamwork and it taught me a lot about how to get the best out of people uh-huh. who, um, who you, you aren't paying and how to get the... Trying to, trying to embrace, trying to find... It was the first time I had a great experience where find someone's talent and, and getting immense pleasure out of nurturing that talent. Right. Um, because I ended up kind of going up the ranks and becoming a, like a, a producer of that show for a while. Uh-huh. So that was, that was my first kind of entry into kind of how to how to manage personalities right. and how to work with big
2: teams. At the same time as being on stage and being yeah. that guy.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's oh, fantastic. Yeah, I could yeah, that's I think that's where that's probably that's that's fueled my polymath kind of world where I'm like, well no I can be on camera and, and I can produce as well and
2: I can direct as well. What the hell are you guys thinking? You know like <laughs> Graphic because- <laughs> graphic department. <laughs> what do you think i do? I've got to sort it sorted. <laughs> what do you think I'm doing between ten oh five and ten oh seven? Man. You can find Dan on Twitter. He's at Dan Illick, D-A-N-I-L-L-I-C. One L. Oh, sorry. I can't spell. D-A-N-I-L-I-C. You got it. D-A-N-I-L-I-C. And also com. That's where you can find out about Dan. Um, before Irrational Fear, which we're going to talk about, which is amazing, um, you did take this musical thing to a, to a whole new level when uh, you... <laughs> Produced, wrote, directed, performed, and then defended. <laughs> Beaconsfield the musical. Please let's let's call it by it's, its original title. Uh, Beaconsfield, a musical in A flat minor. How dare you?
1: How dare?
2: You? Which is about. Uh, or oh, what was the other one? Or oh, Beaconsfield, the Channel Nine spectacular was. was kind of yeah, that was, funny. was an alternative. Um, So basically, there was a. There was a mining disaster in Tasmania in Australia, which is a little island off the bottom of our country. In the northern part of the country, there was a mining disaster and uh, uh, unfortunately one man died. but two men were trapped underground for two weeks. They were very heroically and strategically and incredibly rescued uh, after being underground for a long time and that in itself was incredible. Yet what one particular branch of the Australian media did around it was (laughs) possibly as parallelly incredible. It was astonishing. And you wrote... The musical was basically about this... The the Channel 9... And Channel 7. And Channel 7. um, There... It was about the media exploitation of a tragedy. Yeah. (laughs) That's what it was. And... And to the point where the lead reporter, their hardened flak jacket wearing front of Bosnia guy, Richard Carlton, passed away while he was covering it. So Mm. it was just a drama in itself, the media coverage of this situation.
1: It was one of those cases where something terrible happened and then everybody tried to find a way how to capitalise on the drama. And not only do that, but also... uh, Capitalise is the right word. They both did live... Um, shows from there. They did both uh, Channel Seven and Channel Nine. Both did live concerts from there. Um, there was press swarming all over there. Uh, I spent a week down down at Beaconsfield uh, two years after the disaster writing the show, and I spent a, a week in the pub in the Exchange Hotel there writing it. And I got to talk to many of the locals about kind of their reactions to kind of how uh, how the media were kind of harassing them because there's not many of them down there. There's probably about, the town's probably got about 150 people, and all the miners come from. Um, w- w- northwestern Tasmania, and they also fly in and fly out from Victoria and other places like that as well. So, uh, the northwestern Tasmania, not the most metropolitan of places. No, no, it's very, yeah, it's, it's very, it's very remote. Uh, it's just thirty k's out of Launceston, and it's a, just a spectacular country, um, the Tamar Valley, and it's kind of, it's kind of strange to think, wow, this whole place was swarming with. With media, there were far more many members of the Australian media there than there were townspeople and everybody was being asked about six or seven times a day what their reactions were. No wonder these townspeople would feel completely harangued by this. I I doubt they would have felt exploited at all but sitting at home watching the coverage, you're flicking between two networks going, they're doing the same they're basically copying each other and they're they're, they're taking their circuses to the next level by having, putting lo- on live events down there that have nothing to do with the mine disaster or the news of the mine disaster. They're just trying to find a way to capitalise on this tragedy. And so that's, that's why, uh, when that happened, um, that was around the time of the Logies, I think, 06. Mm-hmm. I was at that Logies. And,
2: oh, so was I. I uh, remember Eddie, Eddie got up and gave a eulogy to Richard Carlton that day.
1: Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty phenomenal.
2: It was very kind of stressful time. The now, Logies was, are our Emmys, by the way. Yeah, They're, the Logies
1: yeah. are our Emmys. They're if you imagine our Emmys, our Emmys yeah. um, if you imagine uh, like a small town, small business awards, that's the Logies. Yeah, yeah it's the Logies. With fantastic frocks. <laughs> Excellent catering too. Really, So, Richard Carton, um, he was one of the most prominent journalists in Australia, and I did write a song about him called The Carton Cardiac. Now, what that song was about was about the jealousy of journalists who weren't famous, who weren't getting the exclusive story because Richard Carton could walk in and knock on someone's door and they would know who he is and they'll get the story. And this is written in a book called Underground, which is, details the entire thing. And other journalists were so annoyed that 60... In the minute 60 Minutes rolls into town, everybody else can forget about an exclusive story because they'll just use their celebrity and their checkbooks to pay for everything. And so th- this was a song about um, the jealousy of... Of all these journalists. It was called the Carlton Cardiac. And so we had these journalists singing about what an asshole Richard Carlton was for stealing their story. And then the moment he died, they'd have to swing around and say, what a great bloke he was. So that's, 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 what, that, that's what that song was about. So it wasn't, you know, I wasn't making fun of Richard Carlton dying. Yeah. I was making fun of just the hypocrisy in, in, yeah. in
2: people's mentality. So, and what was interesting then is then how people came <laughs> after you yeah I was the most hated man in Australia for about a week. What was uh, that
1: like? That was terrifying. That was one of the most terrifying weeks of my life at the time I was living in Melbourne. I was working on charlie Pickering and michael Chamberlain's satirical comedy show the comedy channel called uh, the Mansion and I was a director there and we'd just finished up in the mansion and prior to that i was I was a video journalist at Fairfax so I kind of had I kind of knew how the media ran and I kind of my, at that time I was, f- I was still kind of fledgling in the media, but also my contact book had grown and I kind of understood how to get a story out there and how to manage the story. <clears throat> and so to take you back, it was the French Festival. My theatre had 30 seats. We hadn't put the show on before. Sydney Fringe? Um, uh, Melbourne, Melbourne, Melbourne Fringe Festival. Melbourne Fringe. This yep. is
2: a festival that goes on at the same time as the Comedy Festival? Uh, this is around October. Okay. Um, so this is uh,
1: just before registrations open for the Comedy Festival. Okay. This is where everybody tries out their Comedy Festival shows in order to go to the Comedy Festival. Uh-huh. And so... Never done the show before. It was in a 30-seat in a theatre, theater, so it, well, there wasn't a lot of risk, financial risk, but I still wanted to play to full crowds. So I put out press releases everywhere uh, to... The Herald Sun, The Age and all the local press, no one, no one picked it up. Then I thought, where is this story most potent? <laughs> Launceston. So I emailed the Launceston Trib straight, straight through to their press. I got a phone call 20 minutes later, this girl's like inc- incredulous. <laughs> So she got it. So she, she was asking me all these questions and I was trying to be as sensational as possible, um, bordering on incendiary. <laughs> and I was in bed that night and my my uh, long-time producer and friend Chris McDonald called me up at about 11 o'clock at night and he said, uh, Dern, uh, I just heard you on Tony Delroy's What the Papers Say. You're on the front page of The Age tomorrow. <laughs> I was like... You beauty! So, what? that's a Fairfax paper. So, La- the Launceston Trib put it on their front page, and the editor of Fairfax, uh, editor of The Age, picked it up and put it on his front page. Uh, and the agenda setters in this country are still newspapers. So, every breakfast um, radio program, every, uh, every television station would always turn to the papers first to find what they're going to be talking about that day. So, I immediately went to my website, took down my telephone number, put my agent's phone number up. Um, it was days before Twitter, and so I put a little a little thing up saying on my website saying oh it looks like we're in the age tomorrow that's going to be good uh, <laughs> and uh, and then six o'clock the next morning oh, I texted my I called my agent on her mobile and said hey uh, it, for your information this is what's happened I've put your number up and you're going to expect a lot of phone calls only send through the good ones thanks a lot <laughs> and and she's not a, like a comedy agent she was an acting agency back then so she didn't really understand how <laughs> what the deluge of media would be like uh, and so, 6 o'clock the next morning, the first, first phone call was great. It was Matt and Joe from Fox FM. Uh, that's we'll, a Melbourne breakfast radio. Yeah, Melbourne breakfast radio. Fairly friendly. Very friendly, very commercial radio. Uh, like the morning zoo. They're like, so what have you done? Well, that's pretty crazy. Well, tell us a bit about it. Where Jenna with her?
0: Oh, you guys, Jenna. Oh.
1: <laughs> Crazy! No, she would uh, never say that. Joe's a very, very. She would never do that. Hung up, and I was like, "Oh, this is going to be a great day." Next phone call: Neil Mitchell. Why are you the most awful person in the world? You're terrible. Would you make a musical about the Jews? Blah 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 blah.
2: Uh, so he's a heavy, heavy duty talk guy from Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, and yeah.
1: it was just incendiary from there. And my phone was off the hook talking to every shock jock around the country wow. up until lunchtime. And this was uh, this was the day before we opened, and we hadn't even run the show all the way from start to finish. Amazing. And not even in rehearsal? No, not, not in rehearsal. We had it in bits. And so it was 7... Uh, by about at 9 o'clock that morning, uh, I called a press conference for 10 o'clock at the theatre uh, and and I ran a press conference. So it was great. So I got there and I told, told the guys, I said, OK, so we're just going to do that song that we rehearsed yesterday and this bit of the script we rehearsed yesterday and that'll be fine and then they'll film it and then, you know, that'll be enough for them, for their coverage and they can do interviews and stuff like that. So we, we were running so behind that we had... We got eight cameras in this tiny in this tiny venue that only holds 30, so eight TV cameras all crammed next to each other. Once they're all set up, I said, thanks, guys, for setting up. Now, if you could just leave, we're going to rehearse We're going to rehearse this, the song and then you can come back and film it. <laughs> so they're like, oh, really? And I yep. And they walk, walked out, closed the door, and we're like, fucking hell, this is so stressful. So we did it. Uh, then we, I, did a, I did a doorstop out the front of the theatre where it was just like 20 journalists um, asking me questions and I was just... I was just trying to go back to what I knew from media training, which is whatever you give them, they'll use. So I was just trying to do jokes, jokes, jokes. So I just tried to do joke after joke after joke and pun after pun. And I did it, but I was so nervous. I've I've got the footage on my YouTube. And if you ever get to go to my YouTube, uh, YouTube, you can find it. And you can see how nervous I was doing it. But I still think I kind of held my own. It was so exhausting. And what you realise is that uh, it's all kind of fake uh, this kind of outrage is all manufactured, but at the time when you're the centre of that attention, you have no idea. You actually think you are the worst person in the world. Uh, even though I had great people who were, who were my mentors, who say, you know, who's saying, you know, this is completely justified. You know, Glenn Robbins came and g- gave me a call and said, you know, this is it's actually a really good play, so don't worry. Um, James Carlton, Richard Carlton's son, called me up huh. um, to say, hey, just wanted to let you know, I haven't seen the play, but um, a dad would love it. You know, so, you know, that was... Wow. That... Uh, towards the end of that day that was really important to me because by about three o'clock that afternoon I was an emotional mess because we hadn't put on the show yet (laughs) and I I honestly thought I was like the worst person in the world so the next day we put on the show sold out like crazy reviews like reviews i've never received in my career since um five-star reviews people effusive about the show about how awesome it was and what a, what a what a great show it was um and then i went to the north melbourne town hall uh, afterwards and blew off some steam by walking across the stage nude uh and that felt really good that was the first time that day i actually felt in control of 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 the situation you just happened to be naked no, I just um, just crashed the stage nude and just walked. Whose show was it? It, it was. Uh, it was. They were just doing a dance competition up on stage. It was the festival hub, uh, so it's like where, it's the, where all the comedians and performers go to hang out and drink beer and watch watch a bunch of stuff on stage. Uh-huh. And they just had. They just, they just got three people up to do a dance comp- a dance off. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh huh. And you just got nude, and I just got nude and just walked on stage. It felt better. It felt unbelievable. It felt like all of a sudden I have this out of control train running me over for two days. And this was, this was the first moment that anything I did, I meant to do. Yeah. And I felt back in control. Got it. It reset everything. And did I felt so great after that.
2: Could you bring yourself to watch The Current Affair and Today Tonight stories? That, now, these are the... On Channel 9 and Channel 7 in Australia, we have two. Uh, Today Tonight's not on anymore, No, not it? on anymore. So Current Affair and Today Tonight are very much like the Fox News... Oh my God! This is how ducks will kill your children. Watch after this break. Yeah, there's sensationalists and racists. And, 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 and they cut <laughs> like then three minutes of ads for painkillers and cleaning products, and then um, um, I
1: believe um, they're called Heartland Stories. Uh, uh, Osher, uh, fatties, families, freaks, and freebies. They're all the stories that
2: oh, they come. no, uh, the, the five F's. I heard about them. The five F's: uh, fight, oh, f- f- fight, fat, fat frauds. Fights, uh, free stuff,
1: and freaks. Oh right, that's oh, right. five F's. That is, so Fatties, Fatties, sorry, the only frauds and fights. I had missing, right? Yeah, and uh, free stuff and freaks. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're the kinds of stories that they
2: cover. Oh yeah, the five <laughs> F's. Um, it's probably on a... anyway. Um, so you did you? Could you bring yourself to watch these shows? Yeah, I, I watched it back, and um, uh,
1: and uh, it's great viewing. It's really fun to watch. It, it's kind of funny to watch because the show. Wasn't up, so no one had seen the show. Mm-hmm. So people were prejudging the show before it had even gone on stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and watching me handle the press is kind of funny. Like at the time, I was a nervous wreck, and watching me do it, you can kind of see me packing. What are you, 24 at the time? It's 2008, 27. 27. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like, it's really. It was really hard. It was a really hard week, but after that, after that week,
2: um, everything was good because the show was actually good. And now, this was... is a but hey, this is the kind of thing that your family really couldn't probably ignore. Oh, I saw your son on the paper. <laughs> what, were you, what, were you, what was no, the rea- I what was was the were, family reaction? They Dan? were probably. I, I actually don't know what they. I actually can't
1: recall what they were like. They were in Sydney at the time, so I was in I was in Melbourne by myself. Are they generally supportive? Yeah, they are. I, what I kind of came to this conclusion where it was like. I've realized that I, I've been putting a lot of pressure on myself to do other things other than entertainment, uh-huh. but that's only from my point of view. My parents are always just cool with me doing whatever, Wow. Um, which is great. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care.
0: It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
1: So, yeah, it's still. I mean, I'm I'm 33, and uh, I. You know, I don't have a house or or a mortgage or anything like that, or hardly any money. But it's still kind of one of those things where it's like, well, maybe I should have been a, a doctor.
2: <laughs> uh, mate, I think, and the the the, the reason why I'm. I have you here, is because I see what you're doing with irrational fear, and this shit's about to explode. And <laughs> I wanted, I wanted to get in first. Oh right, okay. irrationalfear.com, a rationalfear.com, and you can follow down on Twitter at dan ellick d-a-n-i-l-i-c. Yeah. Um, you mentioned if we were air checking, that um that I do. Yep. You would say Ginsburg. You really do that a lot. <laughs> Every time you segue or change gears, you throw that. I'm in. Listen back to some old podcasts, folks. You'll hear it. Uh, I do now. Exactly.
1: Now, now is my is my crutch. Okay. Just listening back to the irrational fear podcasts,
2: I do a lot of now.
1: It's like, hang on a sec.
2: Yeah, it's my gear change. I didn't have to
1: do now. My
2: gear change is the um. I don't have to do now. My gear change is the um and also the so. Do you want me to do a so for you? It's sure. Pretty good. So. <laughs> hey?
1: Um. Now.
2: Yeah. It's <laughs> So, um, now... So, um, now... Ooh. <laughs> exactly. Irrational fear had to have been informed and what irrational fear has become had to have been informed by your observation of the... What does Chaz Lecciadelo call it? The outrage machine in your first-hand experience of the outrage machine at work. Yeah. Uh, it's
1: kind of a broader, a broader idea than that as well because... The way I see it is news outlets, and I'm taking inspiration here from Fox News, they play on fear. And, and they demand a certain willingness of the audience to be scared about what they're saying to kind of boost their ratings. And if they can play on fear, then, then that's a good thing for them. And so I was trying to think of an antidote to this. And if the news outlets are trying to make you scared about things that don't matter... Maybe I want to start a news outlet on my own to make you scared of things that do matter. I like it. And that's where irrational fear comes from because fear by itself is irrational. And if news outlets are making you scared, then that's irrational. But maybe we should be talking about things that are actually really scary.
2: So rather than... uh Ways your refrigerator repairman (laughs) is ripping you off. Yeah, or uh, boat people coming to
1: our country. You know, rather than worried about that, let's talk about things that um, are more serious than that. You know, let's talk about how those people are treated. Let's talk about them as people. Heaven forbid. Yeah, so that's that's kind of the aspect, but I want to do it in an entertaining way. Some of the best comments we get through our work, from our work are, Oh, that was so funny but I don't know whether to laugh or cry. Well, that was really funny but also so scary. And that's the tone of everything we do. Everything we do is evidence based and if we have facts to back up a joke you should be worried.
2: That's the, which, which I do love, your, your tagline, a irrational fear, evidence based shareable shit sharing. <laughs> shit shareable shit stirring. Yeah. Evidence based shareable shit stirring. Which I dig. I, I, I dig it. And the other thing you tweeted, you tweeted the other day, because uh, I think you were doing a presentation on Sunday morning. Oh, yeah, I was yeah, doing yeah. a presentation. And, and someone by. wrote, I get the formula, facts plus jokes. Yeah. Which is kind of frightening. Yeah,
1: it's facts plus jokes to change someone's mind.
2: Yeah, yeah, right, right, to change someone's mind, facts plus jokes. If you
1: can make someone, if you can sell them a bit of information, but you can make them laugh, maybe you, you'll change their point of view. And that's... That's what... Well, it's not what we hope to do, but hopefully we
2: can be entertain people. So why now for a rational fear? How is there space for what you're doing? Uh, Well, it depends on
1: what space you're talking about. There seems to be a lack of appetite in commercial media for something like this, Uh, and there seems to be a lack of appetite in public broadcasting for something like this. Um, And so... What I've done is I've just been doing. I, what, Irrational fear is essentially <laughs> is essentially extension of everything I've been doing up to this point, but I've just wrapped it in a brand. Uh, I, I've just taken me now in this podcast to realise this. <laughs>
2: Thank you, Osha. That's what I'm here <laughs> for. That's so, what we do on this show. So. <laughs> This is great therapy. That's what I'm here for, man. <laughs> I, I, t- I, said it, like, I, I said it just the other day. I think I've seen at last count, I can't remember all of them. I think I've seen 14 therapists in my life. So a, a fairly decent idea of how it works. <laughs> good, good. We're not even halfway there. Good. Don't worry. Can we talk about girls next? Thanks. Uh, <laughs> talk about what? Uh, girls next. Uh, no, oh, God, I, I haven't had sex in four months. It's too many crickets. I'm Freudian slipping all over the place. Like a, you are, know, you playing, are you early. playing
1: footsies with me? Is that you?
2: No, no, right, no. Right. though I am sitting askew, so I don't. I'm deliberately, my knees are over this way, so I'm not playing footies with you.
1: So essentially, uh, uh, everything I've kind of been doing um, since about just pre-Beaconsfield onwards has been this brand of comedy. Uh, in terms of kind of filmmaking, all the stuff i have been doing for GetUp, all the stuff i have been doing for um, uh, other clients like Vic Rhodes and other, other people like that, um, kind of wrapping up jokes with facts to try and sell people on a message or an idea and hopefully change the way they do things. And so Rational Fear came about and, and we've been doing it on stage for the last two years. We started off as a podcast at, um, at the FBI Social on, and broadcast live on FBI and then it ended up being broadcast on Radio National for a season last year, and then we ended up doing it. Which is a big
2: deal, because that's the Australian Broadcasting Commission. They're a government-funded body that come under enormous amounts of pressure from uh, free media, um, uh, commercial media, and and politics who don't agree with what they say. Yeah, a lot of people say they're biased, but unfortunately,
1: um, if they did a... An audit of their bias, they would find out that the ABC is the most unbiased part of the Australian media.
2: Yeah, we've by discussed this na- I discussed this nature. with Natasha uh, Belling actually, uh, may her show rest in peace that um, in fact the ABC, that she did mention uh, when she worked at the ABC there was an audit of some description, and, or, or maybe I'm making this up, but they found that they are in fact centrist, mm. but the media they're compared to is so right yeah. they appear left.
1: Yeah, and if you have you ever done any work at the ABC? I have. Oh, you, you did um, I had a the photo finish The there. photo finish.
2: Yeah. It, that would be a less editorially, uh, editorial show you'd have to... I was exposed to, like, normal television show stuff that is like a producer goes, put that there, put this there, you go there. There would have been voting processes and, <laughs> and committees <laughs> and, well, we can't make the decision just yet. We have to wait till this person's here because we can't...
1: You know, it was full on. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's there's a folder at the ABC. It's a, it's about uh, three inches thick, thick, and it's called EdPol, Editorial Policy, and you have to meet all those rules. That folder doesn't exist in any other media outlet. <laughs> 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 so if you break EdPol, you can be pulled off the air. So uh, what were we talking about? You oh, were, yeah, that, you yeah, were on Radio National, fr- which is a big deal. The Rational Theory is like being on the BBC or, yeah. or, yeah. or, or, or a publicly funded PBS. yeah. yeah. NPO, yeah. Yeah. So that was um, really cool. And then we did a big sellout show at the Opera House as well. So it's kind of the – sh- the show – The big, the the big the, room? Uh, did the Playhouse. Uh,
2: oh, that's a nice room. Uh, it's about 600, 600.
1: 600, it's a nice yeah, room. Yeah, yeah. we are doing the drama theatre in a few weeks, which is, I think is 800. Nice. Um, so it, it's kind of – sh- the show's kind of grown over the two years. And what we wanted to do at the beginning of this year was – Spend twelve weeks doing what we would do on television. After every show, people come up and they say, "This would be great on television." How come this isn't on television? Why is this on television? This would be awesome on television. And we'd be like, well, you know, people came. Um, we d- <laughs> we do have one television executive come to it, um, and it was a radio. Sh- it's a radio show um, that we we're putting on, and after the radio show, he said, "Yeah, it just seems like a radio show." <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's because what we were making happened to be a radio show. (laughs) But imagine if we had pictures. Wouldn't that be more like a television show? (laughs) It was really hard. Anyway, so um, what we ended up doing was raising quite a lot of money, um, joined it all together, and did a 13-week season. Well, a 13-week season of digital comedy. We only said we're going to do 10, but we could find enough money to kind of stretch it out a bit longer. where. We made graphics, pictures, text, and videos every day for 13 weeks straight. And that was great. It was like running a newsroom. At the first couple of weeks, we were a bit shaky. We kind of didn't know who was watching or who was listening. But by about week three, our numbers started to grow and grow and grow. We went from about 800 likes on Facebook to 7,000 likes on Facebook. And then through, through uh, seeding content on Facebook with money, we managed to reach 1.5 million people, uh, individuals with our content. And that's, that's, that kind of reach... Was, it's so exciting.
2: It's to, fairly staggering when you consider that you know, even a successful program on the ABC, if they get 300,000, they'll be thrilled.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, what was uh, funny in the paper today was there was a great article about that modern family on Channel 10 rating 800,000 and that was really exciting because that was the ninth most watched program and I was like well well you know that's good for them well done you know like <laughs> my home broadcaster and I love them <laughs> yes and I uh, as someone who's done work for them over the years
2: I also I, I, owe, I owe my life to Channel 10 <laughs> I only have a career because of their faith in me so you know and it's always really interesting working for the underdog I love it yeah I do too I think yeah. it's, it's fantastic yeah. um, if I had the money I would buy Channel 10 but we, we should probably pull together I've got 30 grand <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we could straight up so but what, what's what's really interesting is the that you because you, when I think when I t- talk to people about my industry our industry that we work in people don't care how the content gets onto the big TV in their house mm. they don't care yep. if it comes down a Chromecast Apple TV Amazon Fire TV yep. Uh, I, I, I airplay, whatever, or even on a laptop, we're watching anything. Other. It's just, is the content good? Yep. That's all that matters. Mm-hmm. That's all that matters. Yep. And so we're coming into this phase now where I kind of don't want you to put a rational fear on <laughs> television because I don't want you to have to bend. To anything or anyone, I want it to exist solely as a digital thing. But then I'm selfish, and I'm not you trying to pay your grocery bills. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, it is tough. Like uh, our total budget was two hundred fifty thousand dollars for thirteen weeks.
1: weeks, Holy shit! Which is nothing. That's not even an episode. No. Well, it is, and it's uh, to be honest, uh, TV num TV. The cost of if we were to do it as a TV show, we budgeted out at at about a hundred and twenty. $1000 an episode like 20 for half hour but that is still quite an abc half hour 28 <laughs> yeah well or, 26 26
2: 26, 26 uh, a fox half hour fox um, half hour is 26 minutes and i think at free to wear half hour is 21.5 or yeah. 21 so it, well, still, that's the still, that's still, they, to fill the half money, hour up that's the commercials folks for listening yes it's, it's, it's still in
1: money money wise 120 it's to 150 five or all. It's is, nothing well it's actually now it's something. Now it's, it's a deal breaker. And so you, as a TV producer, you're constantly being asked for tighter margins and to produce things on less and less and budget. So for something like Idol, you could spend 250 to 300 on an episode or well, more bro, probably more <laughs> I know how
2: much it was, it was more than how that. much was it for more than that
1: significantly more I, I, so I big, ten I polls, big 10 polls big 10 polls there's been heaps on but for something yeah. like a rational fear they wouldn't spend anything like that on it um, they'd, they'd want it they would want it around 80 to 90 thousand dollars an episode yeah and then you chuck in take out studio and that will give you 40 thousand dollars an episode to to pay everyone on <laughs> like that's that's the kind of mentality these days for television with what, they, what they want for A panel show yeah um but anyway so it's really uh so what we did was though was basically spend what we'd normally spend on two episodes of television and stretch it out over 13 weeks and pay everyone as well as we could pay a small team as well as we could and gave a platform to not only so many new writers but um uh, directors and Mm. uh, performers and um it, it was kind of, it was really fun. And it was really fun being the boss of that. Like I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed going, that idea, that idea, that idea, that person, that person, that person, that person make that, make that, make that, that, that. And it was like, it was so energetic. It was, uh, I really, I really had a great time doing it. And then our live shows were also very good. So we packaged, we managed to package up our videos into our live shows. So it really felt when you were at our live show, it felt like you're watching a TV taping. Yeah. Um, I feel sorry for people who were listening on FBI that it was less visual, it was less or, less like a radio show yeah. uh, and more like a TV show, but that was the intent. So our last show was at Giant Dwarf in Redfin, which is a big theatre in Redfin. So we had, we sold out and people were standing, people sitting on the ground. We had 300 people plus in that space and bob carr was our guest on the show and uh it, it was just a magical show bob carr was our, our foreign minister uh, our, our henry kissinger if you it, it was a big it was a big deal He was a big deal He was a big deal, yeah. a big deal yeah so it was kind of nice to kind of see that see the trajectory of that of that stuff grow yeah um and our video content was we then paired up with the guardian they loved it so much they ran it um, every week on their front page, and so that just propelled our brand even even more. So it was really nice partnership with the Guardian, where they um, they were, they were quite happy to give us we were quite happy to give them a first run of content if they looked after us, and that was that was really
2: good. It's, it's you know a, a, a great brand that you're building, and I love the way that you're building it. And while it would be great to see it on television, like I was saying, <laughs> yeah. it'd be great to see it on television. I. As you as you said, I think more and more the the agenda of the day, there's going to be a time where it's not set by the newspapers anymore. I mean, already when yep. it, it's it's a lot of the agenda set by the, the what's trending on Reddit, yeah, <laughs> or 4chan. Like to be honest, like yeah. a, a lot of that stuff is it, it, it's Reddit, 4chan, dig. It's,
1: that's what it is. Uh, that's where it comes from. People people refreshing news websites, that's where
2: it is, and yeah. Twitter, what people are talking about as well. Yeah. And that's the audience we really wanted to tap into. And so the idea that it's, you know, that it's shareable content, it then gets to exist outside the borders of a 6 to 6.30 or a 10.30 at night, once a week thing. Yeah. And the, the content can live uh, all around the world. Uh, with a particularly Australian point of view, which I think is very interesting. Well, I, my, my hope
1: is if, we, if a network would like to pick it up, Um, how I would hope it would run is they would leave us in charge of digital. So, where we would, if we made a video that was four days out from airing, we'd still be able to run it online and include it in the show, regardless. And that would tap into a conversation, but also act as promo for the show. And makes sense. Makes perfect I, sense. I would I would live outside. I would live outside that, that seven day turnaround.
2: You've got to. Yep.
1: You've Just to, to capitalise on that conversation. I think it's really important to do you that. You
2: only have to look at like the exceptional work that uh, particularly Jimmy Kimmel's team does. It's Some Really good. Amazing. Really good. Work. And then
1: that, and that's, uh Kimmel and Fallon. Fallon. Both, Fallon's The really Jimmys good. do very well. And what what's great about that is it's kind of disappointing to watch their normal shows. It is. <laughs>
2: It is, because it's
1: not as good. Because <laughs> you, you only see the good bits through your viral uh, networks.
2: And then when you get to their normal show, you're like, oh, this is one of those shows. And we've got to watch, <laughs> watch someone I don't care about sing a song I'm not going to hear again. Meh. <laughs> 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 Rather watch something. I'm gonna watch, yeah. 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 So they're building things in their shows that are doing that. Um, so who's the... Would would you say that a rational fear as a collective, is it is it a collective of people?
1: Uh, it's... Uh, it's it's mostly uh, it's mostly me driving it, and what we do have, what we have over the last two years, is pulled together some really great talent, um, yeah. uh, who are mostly Sydney based, but some Melbourne based, who are really great writers and great performers, and and it's a platform. It's basically a platform for for shit stirring and new talent to come together, and it's really exciting. Do you take submissions from people? Absolutely, yeah yeah during our digital run we were taking submissions through a gmail account and um we had we'd had two meetings a nine o'clock meeting and a one o'clock meeting and we'd go through that email account and we'd pick the ones we we'd like and we'd pay them 150 bucks like we had money to pay people like huh. we, it was really important to me that if we use someone's idea we pay them properly and that's really important to me as someone who is now running a platform i don't want to be like Huffpo po and steal someone's idea um, i want to make sure that people are remunerated for what they do. So, yeah, we we had money, and the money was there to spend, and
2: we wanted to spend it. We wanted to spend it and put it all on the screen. You talked before about making people afraid of things that they should care care about. Mm. But, I don't know, I I, I saw something that he wrote online today about that horrific shooting up in Santa Barbara. Um, Michael Moore, I was into him when he did TV Nation a bit, Mm. but I got turned off about how much he seemed to get off on humiliating uh, people who didn't think the same way as him. Yeah. That's just my opinion. Uh, and so I agree with you, yeah. What's the, what's the line between getting your point across and humiliating f- 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 the right or the decision-makers or whatever to the point where they feel backed into the corner because they're, they're now too embarrassed to change their mind or make a mistake? I think it's respect. Yeah? I've, and I think, I think it's really
1: important to
2: respect people's point of views. I was on HACK a couple of weeks ago with uh, a young girl. That's a Triple J, the national radio broadcaster we talked about before. They have a youth FM network and this is a, a daily current affairs radio show, which is actually quite good.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a youth current affairs radio program. It's very interesting. Nationally, that. yeah, and... Uh, this girl was on there. She was a, like a liberal voter, and it was. It's the right wing in this country, even though it's liberal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> the opposite. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, they're currently. In, really, how confusing to, is Australia? We're so, we're, we're so weird. weird. Yeah, totally weird. I don't get <laughs> so it. So she, she was a conservative voter, and uh, she just was indoctrinated by um, whatever Abbott said, whatever he came out of his mouth was being. That's our current Prime Minister, it's Tony Abbott. Yeah. And she just kind of took whatever the Prime Minister said as truth. And when what is. In, Increasingly evident is that whatever he says can't really be taken at face value because some things he says aren't really true. And so it got to the point where she was saying things that were so crazy and so untrue that I ended up stop. I stopped kind of arguing with her. And for the last half of the program, I just kind of let her talk. And that radio program on Facebook, the 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 hack page on Facebook lit up with people just. Ragging on her, oh. it, but it got. I got so I got really annoyed by that uh, after. But during the time, I realised that oh my god, this girl actually, she doesn't. She's uninformed, and she doesn't know. Uh. And it would be really unfair of me to dismantle her on national radio and be really embarrassing for her. So I will. I will just tone it back and just ask her questions, and just get out of her what she what her opinion is because her opinion uh, is just based on a whole bunch of untruths. So rather than me slamming her rather than me going well you're wrong rather than having a uh, shouting match because it's just it's not helpful
2: that's not how it works Dan. you know you're supposed to humiliate the other person but it's not make uh, them feel really bad shout at them and accuse them for being on the side of the terrorists
1: she's like 22 <laughs> I've got like 10 years on her listening to her talk and I'm, I just felt so sorry for her she was being broadcast nationally yeah and you just I just went... That's a big I difference to... for you, mate.
2: That's a, that's a really big difference for you because when you look at... I don't know when I think of the way the media handled... What was the name of that kid? He had a big house party and then oh, five yeah. 5,000 people showed up. Corey Worthington was his name. And the way, the way he was treated, they just let him dig his own grave and they just kind of were, let him... They put cameras in front of him let him just say stupid stuff. Well, I think he did well. He did. Yeah, he did <laughs> all right. But... The way that, you, that for you to have that respect for this person, even though she was saying things that would probably vehemently disagree with you yeah I that's, just that's uncommon man
1: but I didn't want her to be embarrassed. she ended up embarrassing herself but when right. came out of her mouth anyway but and the same the same people with religion like i I feel the same way about them. my parents are very religious, so I 'm not particularly religious, but I feel like people have their religion because it's really important to them, and it, it gives it gives them something that um, people who aren't under religion don't understand and it would be wrong of me to say to to rip people's religion apart because religion's really important to people and um, i didn't don't i don't want, want to be that that person right yeah so i think it's just respectful why can't we why can't we have a show that talks about these issues in a respectful funny way that has evidence behind it <laughs> Why can't we do that? You're talking my
2: language, Dan. Why can't we do that? Why? <laughs> I want to help you what? do it. What crazy world? What kind of crazy mixed-up world where we show respect to each other? <laughs> we're just talking in, in, <laughs> in truths and not Because I'm not particularly hyperbole. left. I'm not particularly
1: right. I consider myself a bit of a centrist. Like, irrational
2: fear hits both sides of the fence. But but see, that's the interesting thing. A, a lot of people would instantly assume that you are challenging establishment, therefore you are a lefty. I'm just challenging establishment.
1: Right. Yeah. Oh, we've, we've ripped... Oh, stuff I've done in the past, like about labour and uh, for Rational Fear, we did this great piece on the Biennale and the artists of the Biennale and pointed out their hypocrisy. And so it was just kind of, you know, look, we, we go anyone. We go where we sit.
2: Right. Yeah. So... You, we talked earlier about making people afraid now it's it's really easy to make people afraid and i've talked to charlie pickering <laughs> about this that it's uh, and if you read and i keep talking about this on, on the show the ryan holiday book trust me i'm lying confessions of a media manipulator it just talks about clickbait headlines and just making people afraid <laughs> and just it's easy to get people afraid about stuff why is it easy to get people afraid about something to make people feel compassionate about something
1: I think you've hit the nail on the head. Fear is about you. Compassion is about other people. Ah. <laughs> the moment you've got to stop thinking, stop thinking about yourself, well, that's, that's pretty difficult.
2: Goodness me. <laughs> Being compassionate, you've got to start thinking about other people. Man. Because <laughs> I look at, honestly, I look at some of the things that you've done. Uh, just look up on YouTube. Uh, the, I'm assuming the channel is YouTube.com slash Irrational Fear. Yep. Go there, and particularly the one that you did about fracking, about uh, coal seam gas, oh, yes. which is what it's called here in Australia. It's called, it's called fracking in the yep. States. Um, and there's this line that you put in there about, oh, that's fine, there just won't be any world for our children to live in. <laughs>
1: is that what I said? Yeah, <laughs> It terrified me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was, talking, it was talking about the ecological disaster left behind um, because what these big companies do is, just in summary, they raise all this money to go get the gas, and they spend all the money getting the gas. They they all get fees for doing that, and they all get paid really well doing that, um, but they don't generally make a profit getting the gas. They spend more money they, in getting the gas than selling the gas, and then they have no more money left to clean up their their disasters, so that was talking about um, how that's going to how cleaning up fracking water is going to be a problem for our children, children's children, children. If our current children uh, aren't rendered impotent by radioactivity, oh. yeah. So <laughs> that,
2: <laughs> that was that was that. <laughs> yeah, right. So if you're if you're cent if you're centrist, what does that make? things like a uh, uh, show's like A Current Affair which is, is a show in Australia like are they the, the right wing irrational fear I mean is that would you call them that I mean I was watching the, the um, you know who's, who's making that kind of stuff that's right wing who's making the stuff with the graphics and the you know the we're pretending newsy but we're, we're right wing is anyone actually yeah I mean Sky News is, is that and
1: then um, then you've got incredible commentators on radio and in print do it. There's not many people on TV that do it, right, on free-to-air TV in Australia. Andrew Bolt is one person, but everyone else is quite... But Andrew Bolt is such a caricature um, that no-one really takes him seriously. He's a commentator in Australia that's renownedly a conservative commentator. Um, I like Andrew. I've, I've done a pilot with him, and he's really funny and charming. And I would love to have him on a Rational Fear. Like I think he'd be great. He'd be great as a great guest. So cool. Um, And this is the kind of this is the kind of thing about my show is that it's about showing respect to people. Like we'll show respect. We'll show just as much respect to Bob Carr as Andrew Bolt would, as we would with Andrew Bolt. Whereas other shows wouldn't. Other shows would would maybe want to go Andrew and harangue him. But I've met Miranda Devine too. She's really lovely. She's like this wonderful paper tiger, and like. And these people just write because they have an audience and their audience wants to see and hear and consume that kind of narrative. And so they get paid a lot of money to write that narrative for that audience. I feel like Andrew Bolt is one that believes his own... Stuff. But I feel like other commentators like Tim Blair and Miranda Devine, who are the conservative commentators
2: in Australia, don't necessarily believe what they write, but they write it. But folks who read and listen to these people think believe the stuff as true, absolute yeah. truth. So how do people, like your 22-year-old friend that you're on uh, the radio with, <laughs> mm. and folks that resonate with the things they read in the paper or listen to Mr. Bolt say, how do people discern their news better? Well, it's really hard what they really need to do is pick up the phone make a few phone calls and find out for themselves no one uses a phone as a phone <laughs> I mean the thing that I text and check Instagram on that's like, I can talk to people on that yeah you can that's you amazing could, if you use the right
1: combination of numbers you can literally on that black device connect with anyone in the
2: world that has a black
1: isn't that amazing yeah, pretty like, amazing with the right combination of pretty, numbers pretty you nice. can reach anyone speak to them you it's can pretty speak crazy. to them <laughs> if you know the right combination.
2: But I think, you know, and we've talked about this on this Be show. that a researcher, a scientist, uh,
1: a doctor, uh. a, a farmer in the field, uh. Uh, any, anyone. And you to can someone talk
2: else to... who reads the same paper and listens to the same show. Not just those people, yeah. Right. I mean, you can read that. You can read that as well. Because there's a difference, I think, between hearing an opinion that doesn't resonate with your opinion mm. and a personal attack against you. They're two separate things but sometimes it feels like they're the same thing for a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. I know, because I used to feel that way. I, used to, I remember James Matheson, used, I used to come to Channel V up in arms about reading the, 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 the right-wing papers and just, how could people? It was particularly around immigration, because I'm an immigrant yeah. and my parents were both refugees <laughs> yeah. at one point. Uh, you know, And I would just get incensed with this stuff and James would be like, calm down, man, calm down. It's emotional stuff and they write it because people get triggered. <laughs> And James would have to talk me down from the ledge every damn time. See, I'm in Matheson's camp. Yeah, <laughs> I know exactly.
1: I know exactly what you're talking about. But it's it's a shame. It's just a shame that people actually believe it for truth. And would not it be nice to have a brand that told the truth and was entertaining at the same time? Which is what you're doing. Which is what we're trying to do. We got a Walkley nomination, which is awesome.
2: I'd say you're trying. I think you're doing you're, do, you're doing it very well. I wouldn't say you're trying to do it. I'd say you, we're you're... a comedy show with a Walkley nomination. That's we're, a... sorry,
1: we're we're. Digital comedy website with a Walkley
2: nomination, that, and that, that's a that's that's a highfalutin <laughs> journalism award in this a country. Peabody, that, that's yeah. a, a equivalent it's a big, of Peabody. It's a BF, it's a BFD. Um, but you said uh, you know earlier on that everybody is pretty good, you know, yeah. Even if you give Andrew a, Bolt, he's pretty good. You just got to give him a chance. I hung
1: out with, I did a pilot with Andrew. He's great. Rena Divine, she's pretty great. Alan Jones, he does so much for charity. <laughs>
2: So as, we, as a society, even though a lot of people are afraid and reactionary and want to blame... Paul the, Murray, good bloke. He's actually really nice. He's a really a good <laughs> I spent New Year's Eve with him in, uh, in New York a few years he's ago. He's a really good bloke. Really lovely, lovely man. I love man. everything he does. Um, but as a society, do we, do we balance out, even though the fear-based media is kind of the loudest voice people hear? Do you think inherently we're, we're kind of in the middle? As, a, as an Australian society... Here's what I used to think. I used to, th- I used to be
1: in love with the notion of the Australian democracy because we are all forced to vote. And this is why I thought Australian democracy is better than other people's democracies. Because in Australia, you have to vote. You have to make a choice. And what is great is that you've got this group of people in the middle, called The Middle, Middle Australia, who call bullshit all the time, who look at whoever's in government and go, I uh, think you're bullshitting and they have to make a choice and so what, what we get is what we get is a constant often uh, just governments only last two terms and they roll over, if they're lucky they'll get three um, if they're lucky if the governments are lucky they'll manufacture a disaster and roll into a third term like Tampa uh, or 9-11 uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so what, happen- what happens is the left and the right, they will always bat left and right but because there's this whole group of middle people who are forced to vote, they will go They've got I can just see them and they're just these regular people and they just fold their hands and they look at the people in charge and they go mate, I think you're fucking bullshitting, I'm going <laughs> the other way and I think that's what's really great about Australian democracy and I honestly think when I'm when I meet someone new, I just think of them as, like, the middle. And I don't weigh them up as left or right, unless they come out guns blazing. Uh-huh. I think Australians, including myself, I'm, I'm the middle. I'll go, nah, not giving you another go. You can get stuffed. You know, like, I, that's the great thing about Australian democracy, is that we all have to make a choice. And if that choice is based on lies... <laughs> ah,
2: right. So that's the thing.
1: <laughs> yeah. This is why Abbott's having... This is why our current Prime Minister is having a lot of problems because he's just um, a whole slew of... Uh, he's just broken so many promises that he's just... If there was an election today, it would be terrible because none of it... No Australian would want to vote for any party. And <laughs> oh, that's, a, that's a drag, isn't it? But it's so interesting. Um, but I would honestly think Australians are a pretty good mob and that we... I don't... I honestly think, and I hope we don't get as polarised as the United States. It's awful. In the United States, because because people don't have to vote, you just have these two raging camps at each other's throats the entire time. I had the privilege, and I'll say this as a privilege, I was my last day in the United States a couple of years ago, I was... My friend Brooke, who's a Republican, young Republican, said, Dan, do you want to come to a young Republicans meeting? And i went, like, oh, my God. Yes, I do. So I went to this young Republicans meeting in LA, hanging out with my friend Brooke, and, um... The guy who was leading it was this, uh, he was an African Englishman, and uh, he was like, his parents worked for Thatcher, and he was this ultra conservative. And he was like, So, what do you think? Do you think, here's what I think eventually, there's going to be a civil war. And everyone in the room nodded, yeah, there's going to be a civil war, yeah. And they all agreed that that the Republicans and Democrats would get so heated over something, they will go and pick up their guns and go to war over what they believed in, which is crazy. And I was looking at them wide-eyed going, you guys are mental. Uh, and then I had the best laugh because they wrapped up the meeting and they said, well, we'll, we'll all see you at our, uh, our social gathering. Um, it's a, uh, a wine-sipping and shooting day called Guns N' Rosé. And I was like, oh, that's great. That's fantastic. I could be a young Republican <laughs> <laughs> to go to Guns N' Rosé. But it was just uh, phenomenal just to have that moment where I was in that meeting and everybody was nodding in agreement that, yeah, they would go and kill Democrats. Whoa.
2: Oh I mean, my- that's... That's America. But that was in LA. That was not... That, and that's not, even hard. that's not even Texas Republican. Yeah. Or Southern Republican, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, don't,
1: I just couldn't... As Arizona guys, whoa. And do you think Democrats would fight back? now? they'd be like, no, we should vote. <laughs> 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 I, think, I think it's kind of... It's, I just think that's why Australia's great, is that you do have the middle. Yeah. And the middle will save you every time. If the rest of America had to vote, then... I think America. I think the polarization of American politics would simmer right down.
2: Right. I certainly hope we don't get there either. Because this country is incredible. I love this country. I'm grateful to be a citizen. I'm very grateful that I got to become a citizen. I'm. I love this country so much, and what it's done for me and my family is amazing. And to protect it is. But the centre of my being. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> to protect what we have in this country is... We're pretty, we're pretty lucky. Dude. Like, we live in fucking <laughs> paradise. I traveled every, I've travelled everywhere and
1: we're pretty lucky. Like, we are blind. It's as good as it gets here, man. I think Australians whinge a lot, but also we are blind to what we have here and we don't know how good we've got it. And we honestly don't. We can look at the state of media and we can look at the state of politics, but really we're very lucky we're so lucky and you know why we are because we're we're in a part of the world no one gives a fuck about yeah <laughs> and Paul Keating was right and that's what we are in the arse end of the world and the great thing is no one cares about us so they're not going to come bother us no um, we do have all the uranium so eventually they'll come bothering us
2: <laughs> <laughs> You're you're absolutely right so what Arationalfear.com is where you should go. Yeah, that connects to our Tumblr, but we're, we're really big on Facebook and, and, yeah. uh, and YouTube as well. You can well. find Dan on Twitter, at Dan Illick, uh, D-A-N-I-L-I-C. How can people support you now the crowdfunding thing has shut down?
1: Uh, well, uh, keep, go, to our,
2: go to our Twitter and our
1: Facebook and become a friend and follow us and follow the Tumblr. Uh, and depending on movements over the next week or so, we'll decide whether we'll probably go again. So oh. we'll try and raise another get another 50 grand from Possible to do it again. So keep, right. keep a look out. And we had some amazing, generous sponsors, including Dick Smith. Love him. Australian icon. Love him. Um, gave us $3,000. Uh, Will Anderson gave us $1,000. Like, amazing. And Kevin White, Will Anderson's agent, and now my agent, gave us $1,000. And it's really nice to see these big guns. Tim Minchin tweeted it to his, like, seven billion friends on on Twitter. And... Uh, And Will really mentioned on his podcast, and that really helped. And so it's kind of uh, really nice to see established comedians support a new platform. Mm. And what I intend to do, what I have intended to do and have done, is any money we do get, um, spend it
2: all. (laughs) And spend spend every single dollar putting it on the screen. And And that's what we've done. So, before I let you go, this has been amazing. I'm so grateful that you're here. Um, <laughs> you know, I live around the corner. We could, we could go for coffee we, if you want. We can if you want. <laughs> um, what, to you, is the most pressing issue that Australia faces right now? Climate change. Why should people be afraid of it? Climate change is going
1: to change everything. Yeah. And we are also blind to it and we are not showing any leadership in it anymore. And what is the most disturbing thing of recent times is the blatant anti-intellectualism of the way our country is run, meaning that all our science bodies have been dismantled or our climate bodies have been dismantled or our environmental bodies have been dismantled. We are no longer world leaders and showing the world how to do how to tackle this most enormous of all problems. And that is, that's cowardice. That is either, it's cowardice, or it's really the most, or it's the cleverest thing to do. Because the inevitability of climate change means the only thing we can do is go full steam ahead, destroy our environment so rapidly and make as much money off it as we can to build a bunker somewhere (laughs) that's that's extreme but to just exploit until exploit until we're all burned to death or exploit until we can no longer live here
2: how do you keep your chin up when (laughs) that's on your mind dan
1: I keep thinking about the place I might buy in Tasmania which will be wonderful when global warming <laughs> comes it'll be great it be like toasty 30 degrees not much dengue fever um, people on the mainland will be complaining about how hot it is
2: <laughs> you've got mates in Beaconsfield you've been there well, I've got before. mates in Beaconsfield
1: <laughs> I can go back there they love, love me in Tasmania you spent three weeks there
2: <laughs> um, no but honestly like how do you is doing this show because I worry about that like crazy, and it's amazing. Like despite despite conservative media,
1: how many people do are concerned about it, regardless of yeah. how the conservative media pretends it's not happening. Um, because we all see it right now in Australia. Well, it is the end of May um, <laughs> in Australia, and it's winter time, and it's twenty eight degrees outside. I rode my bike here three blocks, and I'm, I'm so sweaty, like. <laughs> It shouldn't be happening. I shouldn't be going to the beach twice a day <laughs> this time of year. I should be rugged up. <laughs> and it's, it's not just Australia's problem it's a glo- it's, obviously it's a global problem, and I just I, like, it, it, it just disgusts me that we, our leadership is so coward are
2: so, are so cowardly on this issue, like they are on many issues. What can people do? because it is such a thing that can be so overwhelming and it, can, it can it can drive you nuts yeah well
1: i think it's about participating and making your voice heard and then this is the activist to me turns it turns into go go be advocates for for the environment you know we all we all should we all should be environmentalists at this point. You rode
2: your bike here, you didn't drive.
1: I rode, I rode for my bike here, I didn't drive four blocks. <laughs> no. Um, Have you learned nothing from your time in Los Angeles? <laughs> um, I, think, I, I, think we, I think I think we all should be environmentalists. It's kind of our money economy re- relies on the other economy of our environment. There's two economies happening at once. And one is unsustainable and one needs to be sustained. And, and we just need to
2: think about the other one from time to time. What about folks who are adamant that climate change isn't real? What do you say to them? Because uh, I've talked about this with Carl, with Dr. Carl before, mm-hmm. and the amount of tweets I got from people who were just aghast. Look, I feel sorry for them because they're wrong. Um,
1: it's like religion. Well, good on them, but it's happening. NASA say it's happening. It must be true. NASA do a lot of amazing things. They put a, they put a spaceship outside the solar system recently. Um, they know shit. <laughs> Look around you. Take the temperature. Why don't you take the temperature for the next 10 years and tell me how, how hot or cold it's getting? <laughs> do that. Do that. Do the research yourself. Call up someone. Call up an expert. <laughs> don't, don't listen to Fox News. Call up a scientist. Call up. Call up the fucking Bureau of Meteorology in Australia Or call up the Bureau of Meteorology in America Call up, call, use the phone, talk to someone Your people... phone can connect you to anybody in the world
2: <laughs> A lot of people may be too confronted by the idea that it's happening no. though that it's, that it's easier to believe it's not <clears throat> happening Of course, of course it's easier to believe it's not happening Yep You're a coward <laughs> <laughs> Hey, now you're just pushing people away. <laughs>
1: well well what I mean it's it's happening, so deal with it. I don't know how I don't know how you, how can you deal with it? You can I reckon you should probably just talk to your representatives, let them know what you think. Yeah. And enough of us talk to our representatives, let them, let them
2: know what we think, then so maybe they'll change their point of view. Well I do have like a, a, a glimmer of hope. I'm going to school in, in Amsterdam as I told you earlier. Yep. And uh, the the Gartner Conference, is that it? They, um, one, of the, one of our lecturers uh, told us about that, that overall, it seems that massive corporations, big, big corporations, seem to see that you can't sell things <laughs> to people who are burning to a crisp <laughs> or underwater. So how about we work some let's keep the environment clean into our bottom line. Because, and, and that's like, oh, right, so they're finally when there's a financial incentive, it works. Yeah,
1: that's right. Well, absolutely. If you, All you have to do is follow what economists are saying and follow what big businesses are doing. What are big businesses doing? They're moving away from the tropics. <laughs> Wineries are moving from the Hunter Valley to Tasmania or to New Zealand to move their grapes into places where they're going to see long-term, long-term investment because... As the Hunter warms up, which is an area um, north of Sydney in, in Australia, as the Hunter warms up, those grapes are going to be useless. And so this is what's this is what's happening. We're going to have there's going to be serious problems. Animals are going to move. Animals are starting to move south. Plants are starting to move south, uh, uh, south in Australia, which is away from the equator. And so what you're already seeing is animals are already adapting to climate change. Then <laughs> we should be doing
2: the same but we're not. Why are we blind to this? Well, this is what I'm saying, is that corporations, big companies, yeah. big, big companies are seeing that it's not going to serve them to keep just consuming and producing and consuming and producing. You know, they won't exist as companies if they have no one to sell anything to. So, they're trying to work these environmental sustainability factors into their practices so they can keep making money. Yep. And I'm not talking about moving, I'm talking about changing, you know, using less CO2 and, and changing the delivery methods and things like this. And
1: when... The previous government was in, and everyone was talking about the carbon tax as the the major promise breaker. Sorry, that's my that's my phone going from the background, and hot hot, ring, I know you're thinking, hot ringtone. I know you're thinking it's Gangnam style, but it's not. It's actually um, Steve Price's remix called "That's Labor's Style." Uh, so Google that one. Anyway, so when the when the when the carbon tax was the linchpin
2: for the change of government back uh, six months a uh, year ago, and Australia was. A world leader in putting a carbon tax in. Yeah, yeah it, it was a big deal. It play. was
1: a it was a it was a levy on carbon, and hopefully, what what that meant was the businesses who polluted would have to pay more money if they the more they polluted, and the less they polluted, the less money they would have to pay. And what the government would then do is reimburse mums and dads, so electricity bills would be would be lower. But the government, the coalition, used that as a way to oust the uh, this, oust this current government, and they they really it on the, the middle products. called bullshit. Yep, and so. What what you'd hope is that this government would then put in something else to remedy the fact that they're taking away a really successful program that has reduced um, that has reduced carbon in the in the atmosphere by many millions of tons, but they haven't, and they won't, and the carbon tax is still in until hopefully July, and we'll see what happens when that happens. But it's it's just. The lack of any policy to combat this at all or show leadership on this at all Mm. is astonishing.
2: Just pretending it's not happening.
1: Just pretending it's not happening isn't a way to deal with it. It's not going to work. But it is a way to um, protect yourself from it because you don't have to think about it. Ah. That's my only rational thought is is that if if it's not happening, ignorance is bliss, if you can't see it happening, you don't know it's happening, then it's not happening. And then you don't have to worry about it, and you just have to deal with. It's a dangerous, it's a dangerous way to live. Yep, because you're not, you're not not living your life with the facts. Right. (laughs) You don't don't have any evidence to support your way of life. (laughs) Right. Which is why I'm all about evidence-based shit stirring.
2: Evidence-based shit stirring. You can find it at arationalfear.com. Dan Illich is on Twitter at D A N I L I C Sorry, being more been more earnest than funny this podcast. Sorry, about that. Bullshit. You've been awesome. Um, thanks so much, man. If uh, there's no any way that I can help you, don't sure. ever hesitate. I'll get you to tweet the next possible link. That'll be good. Mate, I'll do whatever <laughs> I can. You um, should come on. You should come on a rational fear. Are you kidding me? Yeah. That be a dream. <laughs> get, you, get you out. However, you, can, I, you can write three minutes of something funny. Fuck yeah. <laughs> However I can help you because... <laughs> because you're not being Michael Moore, because you're not being the guy on the left who's going, ha ha, aren't right-wings fucking funny? Like, I love Bill Maher, but I don't know if you saw... I can't deal with when him When you anymore. saw
1: Religulous, I don't know, did you see Religulous? I, I can't do Bill Maher anymore. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't like it, I just
2: didn't like him. I just don't like how much people... I mean, it's okay if you don't think the same as me. Yeah, I agree. That's fine. I agree. But here's the thing, if we have a sick child, let's treat the sick child, yes. let's not argue about if the child's sick or not, you yeah. know, it's. I don't, let's just treat the problem yeah. rather than I'm just going to not just disagree with you just for the fucking sake that you're Republican or conservative or liberal or Labor. Uh, and I, I, that's not what I want to do. Which is why I <laughs> want to support you. Um, you're a gem. I'm going to take your photo. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 Unreal. Right. Have a great. Thank you. When you see this photo, I realize I, I am sweaty and handsome. <laughs> Stop it, you. Yeah. And that's Dan Illick. You can find him on Twitter at Dan Illick, D-A-N-I-L-I-C. Also, YouTube.com slash Irrational Fear. If you like the show, send Dan a tweet. I'm sure he'd get quite the kick out of it. And um, help him out if you ever see him on Possible again. Thanks so much for being here. I hope your week's good. Between the tennis and the World Cup, I'm sure you and I, were just both not sleeping. But it's great. I'll see you on Twitter at three in the morning. Look, I'm really, I'm thrilled you're here. Thank you so much for being here. Check out some earlier episodes. You're sure to find something that resonates with you. Um, Let me know if you need anything at all through the week. And I'll see you next week. Thank you so much. Have a great week. Well, you can. Sleep well. Dream of beautiful
0: things. All right.